This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Lions 24-7 Podcast. Don't adjust your speakers. It is a different intro. Me, Sean Fitz of Lions 24-7, is starting the show. Tyler is the one on vacation this week, or at least away this week. I guess it's not really vacation as much as it usually is. You're down at your parents down the shore. Um, you're going to apologize for your audio this time. So it's kind of a role reversal of our last couple of episodes. But welcome in, Tyler Donahue of Lions 24-7. Tyler, uh, not much going on. We're at peak June right now, and it's uh, it's hitting pretty hard. Yeah, peak June, but obviously a different June, just like everything's different about this year. So we're, uh, you know, looking at little milestones along the trail here and, and, you know, definitely putting a microscope on that. Something I did this past weekend, putting up on the site, was reviewing those new freshmen who are just starting to get to campus. And for some of them, it's maybe a month or so um, past due when they were expected to get there. So we're going to go over some of that. But in terms of, of recruiting even, um, it feels like things have, have kind of you know settled in just a bit here, which I think is going to give us a lighter episode here. The start of the week, we'll see what happens later in the week. And again, if there is any strange audio on my end, uh, you know, doing this from away from home, and there have been very few cases to get away from home in the past three months. So it took opportunity here, just like you did last week. I uh, I got nostalgic this week. Uh, uh, Makai Flowers, fantastic athlete, receiver, safety, whatever you want to call him from Steel High, posted something on his Twitter from uh, the whiteout camp. And I look back and yesterday was June 22nd, exactly a year since that whiteout camp. And I looked at everything that we had on the site at that point. And I got kind of sad because we, I mean, we're usually, you know, by, by the end of June, start of July, the typical dead period, we're scraping for content. We're trying to do whatever we can. And May is like that. And, but this year, June has just, just drug on and drug on and drug on. So last year, 10 official visitors this weekend, uh, two camps this weekend. Uh, you've already had six or seven camps at this point. And, and on the typical schedule for this year, you would have had six or seven camps. And, and not that I'm nostalgic for going out there and standing for four to five hours, just, uh, trying to scrape and uh, scratch down numbers and follow guys. But, you know, you, you miss camp season and, and I can't help but feel for the guys that are really going to miss camp season and the fact that that's not going to result in a scholarship. And, and we've seen guys that have come through uh, just a year ago, last June, Norval Black, uh, Jair Brown, those junior college guys earned offers, and Malik Mega was out there camping for an offer, and it was just Ibrahim uh, uh, Traore, that was in July, but I mean, there's a lot of guys on this list that we're about to go over of the freshmen that just came in that where camp season was just so vital to their recruitment, Fatorma Mulba, Cole Brevard, who, uh, who enrolled uh, in January, uh, Mulba was uh, actually committed a year ago yesterday, Tyler L and uh, picked up his offer at the Whiteout Camp, committed a couple days later. So these things, vital. And, and it's going to hurt the, the future classes more right now. But still, when you think about it, you got guys taking one last shot. You know, I, I, I looked at guys that were 2020 guys last year that ended up signing Power 5 that were just basically like uh, Stephen Mahar from uh, Syracuse, the tight end, came to camp at Penn State. Didn't happen. Turned around, committed to Syracuse shortly after. So there are guys out there like that that are holding out for a chance at a school like Penn State. And and no disrespect to some of these other schools, but you're holding out for a school like Penn State. And you want to give it your last shot. You want to go for it. I think Elsden was in that category last year, was going to commit to West Virginia. And then all of a sudden Penn State comes through. And it's just you feel for those guys because it's really you, you're you're not only taking their summer and their spring and everything from them. But, you're, you know, for some of those kids, you're probably taking some of their future and, and putting it in a different path. And then you also have you know some of these uh, coaches that come in from different universities, maybe lower level college football programs that assist you know, big numbers at these colleges. It's not only the Penn State staff dealing with these camps, and you know maybe there's not a guy that doesn't fit Penn State's profile, maybe that high level Power Five profile as a prospect, but you know they got eyeballs eyeballs on them from the FCS level all of a sudden, and they could pop up on a recruiting radar there. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunities lost. Before we don't get to it, Sean. 
Uh, you brought up camps to start the show. We didn't have it written down in the rundown. There will be an Elite 11 Finals, and if that's not a good sign for, for life in general, maybe us moving in the right direction, I, I love it. Because for me, for a long time, that was a staple of, of my summer travel schedule. Uh, three straight years, 14, 15, and 16, I was out at Elite 11 Finals. Uh, those three years, it was in Los Angeles, uh, leading up to the opening out in Oregon. Uh, I was on the move for, for those two events each summer, and, and something I always circled on my calendar a great opportunity to get a good feel for the best high school quarterbacks in the country. There's always a couple cool underdog stories, guys who are there who maybe don't have the offer sheet. And then, of course, there are the you know the Tate Martells, Shea Pattersons, Jacob Eason's, uh, at, at Kyler Murray's of the world who come in uh, with, a, with a tremendous pedigree and, and all the ratings and rankings and the hoopla. They don't always deliver on that big stage. And you may have a guy like Tua Tagovailoa, uh, take the field by storm and all of a sudden uh, emerge as this tra- uh, as this ascending figure like he did a few years back uh, on the camp circuit. One name we'll be keeping tabs here is Christian Veyu. So before we get to those uh, freshmen that we're talking about, Sean, interesting note there, he is one of the 20 invited for the Elite 11 Finals, which this year making the move to Tennessee. Yeah, I'm interested to see how he goes. I uh, got a chance to view his submission video. We posted part of that on our site that's uh, like two minutes long, but the full video that you know he was able to send over is about nine minutes long. Pretty impressive stuff. And he's got uh, a lot of the tools that you're looking for. I mean, we, we know this stuff. And he, actually, he was one of those guys at the Whiteout Camp last year. That's where he picked up his offer on, on June 22nd of last year. So he's, he's showing a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, motion and movement and things like that. Just, uh, you know, going to your left, throwing, you know, back across your body and on the runs very difficult thing to do um you know he was doing you know a lot of a lot of throws that you really don't see him make on his highlight tape and i think that's the a big thing when you're talking about his ranking and it's been noted that uh efficiency completion percentage are a couple things that are you know not red flags but you you kind of raise an eyebrow to because they are fairly low um so you see him make some of these throws some of these short uh shorter to intermediate throws you see the zip on the ball um i i i again agree with Brian Doan. I think he's the best quarterback prospect in terms of tools, in terms of checking boxes that James Franklin will have signed uh, at Penn State. I know that includes McSorley, but you you think back to McSorley and he was a safety for a lot of schools. So maybe not the most skilled guy, but obviously ended up working himself into one of the best quarterbacks in program history. So, um, you know, Veyu, I think has got a very uh, high ceiling to go. I mean, he's he's rated as a high three-star by 24-7 sports, a four-star by the composite. But you look at what he's done, you look at some of those testing numbers, I mentioned those four, those high four sixes in the 40 and a really good shuttle and a really underrated athlete, um, which when you have a 6'4", 200-pound quarterback, I mean, you, you kind of think he's going to be a statue, going to be a guy that stands back there, but I think he's going to fit into the program in terms of what they have in the room right now athletically as well, which is, you know, it, it's something that's, uh, you're not sure what this offense is going to look like, but you want a guy that can pull it down and run it, and I think Veyu is a guy that can do that. And 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 again, he goes. It goes back. He's not a guy that wants to run the ball. He's not a guy that's Michael Johnson Jr. That's out there, you know, as a as a runner. Or Will Levis is out there as a as a guy that's going to just destroy defenses by as being a big runner. But uh, you know, he can pull it down. And he can go. So I'm excited to see how he performs. We're not going to see that por- portion of his uh, game at the Elite Eleven Finals, which is the end of this month. I mean, it's just actually next week. I think at the end of next week. Um, but uh, I'm interested to see how he stacks up because I think I think he's a really good quarterback. And good location for, for our 24-7 sports team. Uh, much of the uh, national guys uh, headquartered down there in the Nashville area. So we expect to have plenty of eyes and ears at the Elite 11 finals, as always. Um, and it's a great staff that works this event. I, I know Trent Dilfer is front and center. He's now a high school coach in Tennessee. A uh, guy who's won a Super Bowl, played a lot of NFL football. Um, you know, he, he's the kind of the focal point of this, but his support staff, the, the group that has been with him for a long time, I can tell you they go through so much with these quarterbacks that has nothing to do uh, with what they do with the ball in their hands. Clearly, that's an important process. Uh, try to get the throwing motion down. Try to make sure their drop uh, drop back is, is smooth, fluid, all that stuff that's going to translate onto the field. But a lot of what they do is dealing with the media, dealing with social media, dealing with haters, uh, the psychological role that a quarterback must play in a locker room. 
they put these guys into a really unique situation. And it'll be a little bit different this year because typically they will have been working with these quarterbacks at the regional camp setting and then ultimately getting them invited to the Elite 11 finals. Then you get to see them again at the opening finals. None, you know, Not all of that is happening this year, but a great opportunity for Christian Veyu uh, to, to, to network a little bit, bit with these quarterbacks. But you know, it, it's going to be a chance for him to make his case. And you, you talked about Brian Doan saying, where he thinks he, he would slot Christian Veyu among James Franklin-era quarterback signees. Uh, I know that probably has some of our listeners saying, well, then why is he still a 24-7 sports three-star? He's a composite four-star, 24-7 sports still evaluating him as a three-star. Here's that platform for him to make his case and, and make that potential rise. I know that we've had some of our uh, listeners and readers, uh, Sean, saying they, they don't really understand why he's not in that blue-chip category uh, the opportunity has presented itself for him because he's going to be shoulder to shoulder with with the best of his peers. Well, you'd rather have him be there in December than in June. Sure. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think we're giving ourselves some time and, and sometimes we don't do that. And that's, uh, you know, something we'll definitely admit right off the cusp. Uh, you know, we... we over tend to overanalyze things sometimes, and I think with with Veyu, that's a, a case of, of what we're doing. Uh, we wanted to see him throw it in the spring. Uh, we knew that he was supposed to be at the Elite Eleven in DC, which he's been a <laughs> consistent performer at for the last couple of years. So uh, we wanted to see that, and then all of a sudden, it just doesn't happen. We don't get the opportunity to see him. So now we get to one of twenty quarterbacks selected uh, throughout the country. I think that says something. Um, you know, it's not. It, it, let's be honest. I mean, making the Elite 11 is not a guarantee of success. And we, we've seen that with quarterbacks at Penn State. So um, we'll see what happens with uh, with AU. I'm excited to see him out there. I'm really happy for him. I know he's pumped. Um, he's up in Canada right now for the shutdown. He's gotten a chance to get out and train with some some folks up there and really has handled it ha- handled it very well. So, uh, you know, great kid. Uh, very excited to see what he does with the opportunity. And yeah, I mean, it's really going to be his only shot to, to boost his rating before the season. Um, if you know, if that happens, great. If not, if they want to take back and, and see uh, if his efficiency grows, if his, if his completion percentage goes up, that's fine. I still think he's going to continue to go up. Do think he's the best uh, passer. Um, Will Levis has the strongest arm. I don't think there's any question about it. But in terms of accuracy and arm strength combined, I think uh, they use the guy. I, I'm curious here. I tried to go back and find it. I, I don't know if Michael O'Connor made the Elite 11 finals back in 2013 before he ended up signing with Penn State. Uh, he's the only guy that stood out to me as a, a Canadian quarterback who would have been involved in the Elite 11 finals. I, I don't know if I'm overseeing anything. Might have to check in with, with that staff and see if, if Veyu is the first Canadian quarterback to, to get to this level of their evaluation of the top quarterbacks. I, I'm so used to saying the nation's top quarterbacks. Uh, Veyu is not of this nation, so you know, he, he's, he's extending those boundaries. We've seen some Canadian players get to the opening finals, but the quarterback spot... I'm not so sure. That's something that's interesting to see. I remember watching Sean Clifford at the Elite 11 Finals. Uh, Jake Zembeck was out there. Justin Fields actually made a big run out there, I think, before he decommitted from Penn State. So there's been reasons to follow this. It feels like this year, though, Penn State fans, considering the lack of everything else going on uh, on football fields across the sports spectrum, when they do start the Elite 11 Finals next week, as you said, coming up quickly, uh, there's going to be a lot of focus, and, and that will extend to this podcast. Hopefully we'll get a chance after all the action to get somebody on the podcast who has maybe had their feet on the ground there, was watching him closely, and we'll get a chance to, to break that down a bit more. But um, good news for Christian, and you know, quite frankly, good news for the Penn State football class and their staff uh, to see a player uh, elevated to, to, to that level of competition and get a chance to, to prove himself on, on a large stage like that. And, and by the way, uh, the first Elite 11 camp like this, 1999, Penn State, Zach Wasserman was invited. And uh, Wasserman, of course, had a had a story, you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably don't know him, but he had to go back to California, uh, sick family members and such. So it was a kind of a sad story. But uh, that's that's what we're talking in terms of the scope of, of how long it's been. And actually, I pulled up the 99 list and there's some NFL quarterbacks on there as well. So uh, you, you always run that gamut, especially when you're evaluating quarterbacks. There's no sure thing. Um, even the sure things are... Sometimes not sure things. So we'll see what happens. But uh, one quarterback enrolling this weekend at Penn State, as we segue into our next topic, uh, Micah Bowens was part of that group that came in. You wrote about him last week. And, you know, it's just going to be an interesting uh, entry to that quarterback room. We've talked about Bowens before, a little bit limited in terms of size. Uh, Athleticism is certainly there. Um, He's got a nice 
Nice arm, uh, really interesting release, uh, delivery, whatever you want to call it, throwing motion. Um, so that's going to be something that's going to have to be addressed when he gets here. But just another wild card in that uh, quarterback room showing up this weekend. Yeah, kind of an, uh, an elongated throwing motion. That's actually something that Franklin referenced on signing day. But getting a chance to speak with Micah Bowens here on the podcast not too long ago, and, and I hope our listeners heard that. Um, this is a kid who his demeanor comes off as as a, as the kind of presence you look for at the position, and that's not surprising considering where he comes from. You talk about the elite eleven level quarterbacks. Well, they they've had a, a bit of a situation there. Bishop Gorman, Tate Martell, one of the more accomplished high school quarterbacks coming out. I know it hasn't worked out for him at college, uh, but he preceded Dorian Thompson Robinson, who ended up at UCLA. Um, and then comes Micah Bowen. So that is a, a very unique situation across uh, American high school athletics, what they have at the Bishop Gorman football program. They get on planes for, for half their games over the course of the season. Uh, this is a team that, that is used to playing on ESPN showcase matchups once or twice a year. Um, so it is not life as normal for a high school quarterback. And now, Micah Bowens doesn't have those measurables. I do think that he is very aware that people are going to doubt him and have doubted him because he's five foot eleven, maybe maybe pushing six foot at, at the end of the day. We'll see. Uh, but you know, he, he's very aware that he doesn't have that prototypical size. It's something that that Franklin actually said he feels Bowens sees a lot of traits McSorley in himself. You know, brought that up to Bowens during his podcast interview. He confirmed it, uh, pointed to the accomplishments that Trace had. And, and someone had, had asked after I wrote the story up and, and got this up on Friday, you know, what is the ceiling uh, for Micah Bowens? And I don't think you're going to go out there and, and, and say this, that you're, you see a Heisman Trophy five-star kind of ceiling, and the rankings and ratings reflect that. But I think it's important to remember, a guy like Trace McSorley, what was his ceiling viewed as when he came to campus as a second-rated quarterback in his own class in 2014? You know, sometimes the ceiling has a way of rising if a player goes about it the right way and finds himself on on a path that some didn't expect at the college level. Um, I don't have those expectations for Bones. I'm not going to say he's he's going to go out there and 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 be a three year starter like McSorley was, but I think he's got some of those intangible uh, assets that you look for at quarterback that that don't aren't necessarily attached to a player's physique or size. Um, where he's got that productive prep career, he's got time spent in the spotlight at a school like Bishop Gorman, won a lot of football games, won a lot of high-profile football games during his high school career. And additionally, he just seems to have that mature mentality, a guy who is going to, to do his best, even as a freshman among his peers, to kind of make sure that players are holding themselves accountable because he's going to be one of those who is doing that. And oh, by the way, stats he put up at, at Bishop Gorman, more than 5,000 passing yards, nearly 2,000 rushing yards, 85 total touchdowns. That's a two-year starter putting up those kind of numbers. Yeah, big numbers at a big program, national program. I mean, that's certainly a, a good sign. I, I just, you know, we saw him at camp last year at the Whiteout camp. And uh, honestly, I don't know if jet lag or whatever, but really didn't do much to move the needle on that day. And that's something that I have a tough time getting out of my head in terms of, of Bowens. And I'm also wondering – for this switch for this offense where you're, you know, saying or we're saying that the quarterback's not going to run as much for a guy like Bowens. And, and you know, he's a small guy, so I'm, I'm not sure that you want to run him as much as you maybe ran Clifford last year or ran Trace or something like that. I'm wondering how much that affects him. He's got a four or five-ish time, um, you know, documented at, at one of those Nike camps. So, I mean, he can scoot, no doubt about it. But we'll, we'll just I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how it all translates because I think he's a fantastic high school player. I just wonder, you know, it's, it's going to be that much harder for him at 5'11", you know, not with the great, uh, you know, take one Roberson's 5'11", but he's got a, you know, a better arm, a better delivery. So, um, you know, I think it's just gonna be that much harder for Bowen. So I'm curious to see what he does. I mean, he's a competitor. He's a great kid. He's, you know, we've been impressed by him. We've had him on the podcast before, um, been, been impressed by what he brings to the table. How's that going to translate to the next level? Yeah, and I think you're right about the camp situation. If we, we were standing there that day at the Penn State camp, if you were to tell me, point out the quarterback who has the Penn State scholarship offer and is already committed to Penn State, I wouldn't have just naturally gravitated toward Micah Bowens. It wasn't that kind of performance. It wasn't that kind of uh, you know, kind of effort that we saw at camp. I don't want to say question his effort. Just He didn't go out there and shred it like you like you might think the Penn State commit. But I will tell you, the night before Will, will Levis got his offer, he was showing off that arm strength, but it wasn't exactly putting on a passing clinic. Uh, he ended up getting that offer from, from Joe Moorhead and the staff back in the uh, summer of 2017, coming into the class within 24 hours. But 
it wasn't exactly like Will Levis lit the world on fire the night before, in my opinion, from what I saw of him passing the football. I'm going to, I'm just flashing back because that's what we're doing this summer. Um, I, I was really impressed with Levis's uh, performance at camp. Talked to some people afterwards and said they were really impressed as well. Um, that just, you know, he could push that ball down the field. That was actually a camp, uh, where Pat Fryermuth was there and Zach Koontz was there. Yep. And I remember st- texting Steve Wilfong. I'm like, Hey, I know we got Koontz high. I know he's got the athleticism and the size and everything like that. But Fryermuth's better, man. He's just flat <laughs> out better. And it's, you know, it, I didn't expect it, me to be that right, but, but we were right on that one. So uh, just an interesting uh, – uh, here we are, nostalgic for flashback. camps. And that was yeah. the, and the next day was Lash Bash, and you had Shaquan Anderson Butts. There's a flashback name for you. He commits, and I think there was like three commitments. Levis committed. Um, but Jake hey, Pinnegar, I think, was in that group. Here, here yeah. we are. This is this is such a me thing, pushing the spotlight to that 2018 class away from a different class. Let's you, get, you refocus on the you 2020 group. <laughs> Um, speaking of camps, guys going out there balling, both the junior college players who are now on campus, Norval Black at wide receiver, Jair Brown at safety. Brown was one of the more interesting uh, podcast conversations I think we've had here a couple weeks ago, talking about two years ago, he was looking at a Division three option in New Jersey to play college football because he didn't have any others. And now here he is talking about coming in and, and playing right away for Penn State. That's his ambition. Uh, these two guys, we saw them in camp. They earned their spot, and we've always categorized them a bit different as we did last cycle, Sean, because uh, they're coming to campus three years to play too. It's just a different uh, mentality that they're bringing with them, and, and the staff's also going to view them with different expectations. I, I agree, and both of these guys in similar boats. It, it's funny. I was thinking of what to say about these guys beforehand, and I'm, and I'm thinking where Penn State's roster is right now. You don't need the immediate help that you sort of uh, align with junior college prospects where you bring those guys in and you know, you're bringing them in for a reason. Penn State started that Lackawanna pipeline in the sense that they can take guys. They took Anthony Wigan last year and put a red shirt on him. They could do that with Norval Black and Jair Brown. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you look at the positions that they play, wide receivers wide open, safety not as wide open, but you've got a chance to uh, break through if you can do it. So um, I'm kind of on the fence about these guys in terms of what, uh, you know, how much we're going to see them, what they can do. Uh, does that, uh, you know, just that added mentality of going through the junior college was just so tough to do and and make that leap to the Big Ten. Do they need a year? Norval Black is, you know, a really an excellent athlete. I'm great body control, receiver skills, all that kind of stuff. He's 170 some pounds. And and does that transfer over? For some guys, it does. For some guys need a little bit more time. Um, we saw both these guys at camp last June. I was genuinely impressed by both of these guys. It's not like, uh, you know, oh, they're junior college. You know, you, you judge them on a different level, which they're older. They should be better. But at the same time, I mean, they were that much better than their peers uh, and the, well, than the high school guys that were out there. So you like what you saw from them. You, you, the testing numbers match up. You're impressed with uh, with how they move, and then they put it on tape and and did it for Lackawanna last fall. So um, interested. I, I could see this going any number of ways. I think probably Norval Black's the guy that's more likely to get onto the field right away and and have an impact. I mean, I could see Jair Brown, you know, playing some special teams and things like that. But I think the path at wide receiver is kind of uh, of op- a little bit more open there. So. Uh, you know, really interested to see how these guys develop. I don't think they're, I don't think they're can't miss prospects uh, by any stretch of the imagination. In, in terms of junior college guys, you know, I've got uh, Jaquan Brisker ahead of both of them, and I've got Dejon Warren, who's still at Lackawanna, ahead of both of them. So we'll see how these guys react and go with it. But I think there's a lot to be said for that learning experience of being a junior college. I mean, I remember talking to to Brown last summer about doing an interview. He couldn't do an interview. He was working in a factory. I mean, it's just basically this is the kind of this is a different kind of lifestyle. It's a different kind of uh, learning experience, and that's uh, really kind of what you get when you play the JUCO game. I think it's big for Brown to have Brisker there already. Those two were very close at Lackawanna. They stayed in communication. There's going to be uh, some measure of, of of knowing what to expect on a daily basis because of that dialogue he's had with Brisker. But yeah, I think one thing that's going to fuel any of these junior college guys, but specifically looking at Brown, uh, you know, he enters a safety room that features Lamont Wade, who had what dozen plus Power Five offers by the end of his sophomore year in high school, was was a top one hundred recruit. Some viewed him as a five star, some didn't, but he was up there toward the top. Bunch of options, you know, at top six or seven that he had, great schools, and then he throw in that safety room a kid who again Montclair State was about all he had coming out of high school. And I, you know, hey, you want motivation? You wonder why some guys are just kind of wired a little bit differently? 
storylines like that, uh, they, they tend to add up over time. We'll see if it turns into a great story at Penn State. But I think you look at 2021, where we see that safety position going, what could be up for grabs there next year. Um, looks like a great opportunity for Jair Brown, who, again, uh, he, he may go into 2021 like a senior, uh, like Brisker did one year, uh, and then all of a sudden it, you're down to your last year of college. We'll see where it gets those guys. Um, carrying over from, from Norvell Black to the other wide receivers who are, are joining them, Malik Mega, another recent guest of the podcast coming down from Montreal, and Parker Washington, player coming from Texas. I think it's fair to say you and I have both uh, routinely, uh, dating back to really last summer, um, have, have kind of categorized Parker Washington and early enrollee Keandre Lambert as the freshman wide receivers to watch at a position where it feels like a freshman should have every opportunity uh, to go out and make an impact during their first year. Mega, more of that project. You like the numbers. You love the physical makeup. And I, I am, mentally, this kid is a really interesting young man as well. But I think when you kind of uh, navigate this wide receiver class, which needs to produce something in 2020, I, I don't think there's any d- doubt about it. Sean, do you still see it as as Lambert, Washington, and then maybe a gap uh, with Norvell Black as this kind of wild card out of the JUCO ranks? Yeah, I think you, you can break it up into three spots where you've got Lambert and Washington, the guys that are kind of more ready to play. And some of that's physical, some of that's mental makeup. And, um, you know, Parker Washington's a kid who kind of reminds me, we talked about Noah Kane on the last episode and his mindset. I mean, he's not coming to Penn State, you know, for the ice cream. He's coming out to, to compete. He's coming to play right away. He's got, he's got that business mentality that we've seen and he's been very successful down in, in Texas. So you've got Lambert and Washington, uh, you know, I think up at top. I think you got a wild card, sort of a yellow guy in uh, Norval Black. And then you've got the projects in Malik Mega and Jaden Dotton there. Uh, Dotton, of course, enrolled in January. So uh, I think they're, they're fairly clear parameters for what to expect from these freshman wide receivers. I mean, if Washington can can pick things up and go right away, uh, I think that helps. And and I'll be honest with you, I mean, he didn't lose much by not enrolling in January as you typically would. So I think that that uh, certainly helps his case. Uh, probably more athletic than you think. And he could fit in that slot, and that slot's wide open. You got Jahan Dotson backed up by Isaac Lutz and you know no no disrespect to, to Isaac Lutz but that's an opportunity for Parker Washington to come in there and break and crack the two deep right away so uh really interested to see what these guys can do I think they're very talented mega I think it's going to take a while um you know he's he's got some physical tools I mean he came down ran the four five at Penn State he ran a four four something at, at one of those Nike camps and and doing that at six four and 190 is pretty impressive so uh, interested to see how he develops. I think he's a long-term sort of project label and, and, you know, rightfully so they've got room to do that or they had room to do that. And that's why they took five receivers last year and numbers being what they are, that'll work itself out uh, all in the end. A big receivers class, uh, in terms of numbers and then in terms of what you need to get from this group, you can't afford to, to miss on a receiver class right now. You, you think you have some stability with Taylor Stubblefield time will tell with that at a, at a position where they've had a lot of leadership changes over the years. Uh, this five-player group, uh, they got to find a way to deliver early and often to take that room to another level. Um, going back to the backfield, uh, what's better than one four-star running back out of Florida? How about two? Kevon Lee coming to campus, uh, joining Keziah Holmes, who enrolled early. Second consecutive year, the Nittany Lions sign four-star running back pair. Noah Kane, Devin Ford, both saw the field burn their red shirts in 2019. Kevon Lee, Sean, another guy we've had on. Uh, it's nice to kind of remember we've had a lot of these guys on the podcast, so hopefully people have, have some background knowledge on each of them. But he's a bit of a wild card for me. He's a bigger back. He was recruited by some Power 5 programs as a possible linebacker. Um, you know, talked about maybe in 220 plus when he gets to campus. And, uh, you know, it's a big running back room across the board. These guys have added some nice weight. Uh, you know, he stands out size wise. Also, what stands out to me is he didn't play high school football, had a, had a strange transfer situation as a senior. So you know, he's almost two years removed from his last full contact football game as a running back. So very curious to see how it shapes out with Kevon Lee, who in a, in a crowded backfield, no reason for J1 Sider unless he sees uh, flashes of greatness right away this summer for him to rush this kid into the rotation. Should be a nice year for him to, to settle in and, and, and get acclimated physically and mentally. Yeah, I see the circumstances dictating this one more so than uh, what you would think with a four-star running back coming from Florida. Lee, I think, is a talented kid. I, I mean, he was on the radar for a while there and really just uh, you know struck it up with with uh, James Franklin and Jaywan Sider on his official visit. And I mean, I don't want to say it was over by then, but it was pretty much over by then. So by the time he got done that 
April visit, went back and eventually committed later in the summer. He went to Florida State for fun. Him, yeah. him and Keziah Holmes, they were and both they were talking about there. going to yeah, Penn State. Yeah, yeah. Penn State. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's remarkable when you think about it. That's a heck of a recruiting job by Cider. But in terms of uh, production, I mean, you're just not sure what you're going to get because, I mean, it's uh, it's a back that's been what, – what's he's been reported anywhere from 210 to 230. So <laughs> where is he going to come in? Where is he going to fit into that uh, mix? Is he going to be in the same kind of shape that uh, – Keziah Holmes is in. Is he going to be in that? Uh, you know, I guess how how quickly is he going to learn to get acclimated to that running back room where the bar is so high, where you've got Journey Brown, you know, t- talking Heisman hype and things like that. Um, and you've got uh, you got a pretty pretty big jump to make from not playing high school football as a senior to to getting into that running back room. So I'm really interested to see how he adjusts to that because I, I think he's a talented guy. I, I don't know what to make of him. I mean, some schools looked at him as a linebacker. Some schools looked at him as a running back. Uh, you know, he's he, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do a lot of things really well. It's just, I mean, he's he's one of these complete unknowns. And for a guy that, uh, you know, carries a lofty ranking like he carried, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, one of the crazier things is in, in this class is, is a guy that really hasn't played a ton of football, um, at least recently. You know, goes out, wins the offense, defense, all American bowl for what it's worth. I mean, that's, uh, or excuse me, MVP, the, the MVP of that game. So for what that's worth, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's got, to, he's got something to him. So we'll see if he fits. And if he doesn't fit, uh, that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you got a linebacker there. Maybe you got something, uh, something else that can help your team. Curiosity with Kevon Lee. And we've been applying the mystery label to, to Tyler Warren. And you peeled back the curtain a little bit, finally, uh, getting in a conversation with him. Uh, you had a QA up on lines 24 7. I think it was earlier this month, Sean. What do you deduce from from that conversation? This is a player, Warren, we've talked about it, committed to Virginia Tech as a quarterback, and Barton Simmons pointed to him and early enrolled cornerback Joe Johnson as the two players in this class he feels uh, he, most confident in saying they could really outplay their expectations as recruits. Tyler Warren, man, I, I tried to get him on the podcast first off. It didn't work out. He's, uh, doesn't do too many, inter- too many interviews. So I didn't want to, you know, take advantage of, of what I was able to get out of him. So, uh, talked to him for about 15 minutes and he was great. I mean, it's a, you know, it doesn't have the Twitter, doesn't do that kind of thing, but you know, he was, he was fantastic. So, um, talked to him about his expectations. Again, the circumstances are going to dictate what, you know, what that room presents to him. He's obviously, you know, stepping into a very t- talented tight end room, uh, coming in with Theo Johnson in the same class. I mean, you're talking about six, five and a half, close to six, six. He was 235, ran a four, seven ish for them. Those are pretty impressive numbers. Got the quarterback tape. The basketball tape is the one that I keep going back to that, you know, shows his athleticism and really showcases what he's able to bring to the table. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, a guy, if he outplays his ranking, I won't be surprised at all. I think I think a lot of Tyler Warren, I think he's going to be a really good, solid player. I think he's, um, you know, a guy that could be a pro eventually, and and I'm really high on him personally. Warren, Theo Johnson, another impressive tight end group coming into that room. Uh, Johnson enrolling early, working through an injury during his first months on campus. Offensive line gets a big influx here with, with the newcomers. Jimmy Christ is a player that you will hear on the podcast in an upcoming episode, we did speak with him before he headed to campus. Um, Olu Fashanu, Golden Israel Achumba, and Ibrahim Traore. You know, no, none of these guys are of that Landon Tengwall kind of clout on the recruiting trail. Each of them come with their unique stories. Chris, to me, uh, he's a player that I think because of his commitment the night before that Minnesota game, I think some people kind of maybe overlooked it, didn't pay enough attention to it because they were so focused in on that matchup. Um, you know, he's the biggest player in the class, six foot seven, pushing 300 pounds. A football family, if there ever was one that he's coming out of, uh, turned his back on Virginia where his older brother plays by flipping to Penn State. He's a guy I keep coming back to and saying, wow, a three-time All-State performer in Virginia, a kid this size from, from, a, from a Naval Academy family uh, with a lot of football pedigree. I just like the way a lot of that equation adds up long-term for him at Penn State. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this this class as a whole, I think that there's a lot of potential there. It wasn't the star, you know, the high star studded class, but I think there's a lot of potential in terms of what you're looking for. The size is there. All these guys, uh, you know, floating anywhere from 295 or about 290 to 320. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of, of bringing these ready-made guys in, but there's also been a lot of lost weight with this group. You look at Olu Fashanu was up to 330-some, and now he, you know, he came in at, uh, you know, he I think uh, last December – 
was under 310. Uh, Golden Israel Achumba, of course, was over 370 at one point. Now he's 320 or so. So you've got a lot of lost weight, which shows a lot of effort and shows a lot of, uh, you know, sort of commitment and determination. That's sort of something that you'd like to see from these guys. Ibrahim Traore, I mean, you mentioned Chris, but Traore is, cool is a really an interesting one to me. Really cool story. He's got a lot of what you like. He's got ridiculous length, um, you know, six, four and a half, six, five. 300 pounds. He's got those 35-inch arms that are ridiculous. I mean, 34-inch arms are really, really long. 35-inch arms are, you know, the, the NFL combine type stuff. And he can move, uh, camped well, moved well, did all that kind of stuff. So I think he's probably one of these sleepers of the class if we're gonna if we're gonna label these guys. And, and I'm interested to see what Traore can do. I think he's raw. I think it'll take a couple of years for, for basically all these guys to break through and and find their way into the class. And of course, Nick Dawkins was part of this class as well um, back in January. But uh, there's a lot to like. And you know, are these guys more suited for the interior? We'll see. I mean, uh, Israel Chumba is an interior guy all the way. Uh, I think there's three tackles in this class, two guards, and including Dawkins. So uh, it, it, it's just a maybe not a star-studded, uh, bring all the stars to the party type class, but I, I think they can get some quality linemen from this group. I really do. Phil Troutwine joked that, yeah, he knew a lot of these members of this class. He recruited them, and they didn't pick his school, and he ends up inheriting a, a pretty good class when he gets to campus. Now these guys are going to get to work uh, closely with them. And Treore, by the way, camp story from last year was probably – one of the more interesting ones took a took a bus from New York City, then did a ton of reps. I mean, he took every single rep that the staff would give him. Ended up getting an offer. Ended up with Penn State. Defensive line: Koziah Izzard, Brandon Taylor, Amin Vanover. You want to talk about a, a group of guys who aren't going to wow you? You're not going to find them up at the top of the standings uh, uh, rankings. Izzard is a four star in the composite. I thought he finished his high school career on a high note, uh, but this is a group where. Your guess is as good as mine as far as what you're going to get long term. And I don't think you should be keeping your eye closely on the defensive line group in 2020. Uh, This is kind of a 2021 and beyond mindset, I would imagine. I agree. Yeah, I don't see anybody really breaking through and playing this year. I was very down on Izzard, you know, early in the process. His junior season wasn't very good. I mean, it really didn't, uh, you know, measure up with what you thought could be, you know, a a Big Ten level, Penn State level prospect, had a very good senior season, was able to bounce back. So um, I I don't know if he's bought in, you know, he's he's always been the guy that's wanted to be the defensive end, but of course he's 280 some, 290 pounds now. Um, I think that ship has pretty well sailed. Um, Brandon Taylor and Amin Vanover, not really sure what to make of that. I'm I'm, I'm told both of those guys are going to start their career at defensive end. The plan is still for those guys to be defensive tackle long-term. Vanover's massive. I mean, he's 6'4 plus, uh, 265, got really long arms, big frame, just a, you know, I think he's a D tackle all the way eventually, but the numbers at, at defensive end right now are kind of dictating that. Get some practice time in there. It's not going to hurt anybody. I think he's a red shirt anyway. Taylor, kind of a, a wild card. I don't know how his game sort of, uh, translates to the college level. I mean, he's 6'1 and a half, 6'2. He's been uh, up to 270. Is he going to play some defensive end right off the bat? I mean, he's, I, to me, he's a red shirt all the way. Uh, I'm curious where he fits in in terms of looking at this class as a whole. Um, you know, I think it's going to be that much harder for him based on his size. Uh, I'm just uh, curious to see where he fits in in the defensive end or excuse me, defensive tackle plans in the long term because there are so many of them. So yeah, I agree with you. It's not an instant impact group. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think Brevard, uh, Cole Brevard, or Fatorma Malba or uh, uh, Bryce Mosteller are going to play this year either. So you stash those guys. You see what you can do, and hopefully you have some transitions like Hakeem Beeman, like uh, Smith Vilbert, who they're very high on at defensive end. So. Um, you know, this is one that you sort of pack up and put away for the future, I would say. Vanover and Taylor committed the same day last June, June 28th. And uh, Vanover follows Smith Vilbert, former St. Joe Regional uh, teammate in Montvale, New Jersey, to campus. Uh, no defensive backs to get to uh, except for Jair Brown. So linebackers where we focus and another couple blue chips coming in. We Tyler Elston's already on campus as an early enrollee. Zariah Fisher. And Curtis Jacobs, new to town. Jacobs, the top-ranked member of this recruiting class overall. Zariah Fisher, a guy who soared 600 spots in composite rankings as a senior. And uh, someone who comes to campus with linebacker as his focus, although that was a question during his recruitment whether that would be the landing spot. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, 
that's the landing spot for now. I, I, I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, maybe grows out of that. He's got ridiculous length as well. I mean, he's 6'3", but he, he's got the length of a 6'5 guy. So you'd like to see him on the edge eventually, or at least I would like to see him on the, the edge eventually. Love this linebacker class. I mean, can't say enough about Curtis Jacobs, uh, favorite player in the class. And I'm not sure it's particularly that close, uh, just to everything that he's been able to do as a high school prospect, as a receiver, as a, you know, a linebacker, you can switch around. I mean, I, I can't say enough about Curtis Jacobs. Uh, Fisher, I think he can play linebacker. That's the thing. I mean, I talk about moving him to defensive end. I think he can play linebacker in, in the Big Ten. I think he'd be a, a middle a guy in the inside or actually play that will. is probably more likely for Penn State. Put him in the box there. Not necessarily a traditional Mike um, or a traditional Will, Sam, whatever. But uh, you put him in the box and and he can do some things because when, when that ball gets moving, he gets moving to it. He does it in a hurry. I know he wants to play linebacker. I know he's uh, you know set on coming in and learning and doing all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm excited to see his progress. Um, we were higher on him than most. And then I think everybody kind of caught up with that. So I'm really interested to see what he can do because at the high school level, um, these are two guys that are just uh, were phenomenal. And then you add Tyler Elsden that arrived in January. If he gets faster, um, you know, you've got a really, really good group. And I sort of keep that in mind when talking about the 2021 linebacker class where you were only setting out to add one, maybe two. Um, you know, you, this group ahead of it's a really, really good, uh, solid, uh, not actually better than solid class. 16 new names that you just heard, all part of this uh, return to campus. We'll, we'll get a hold on it. Confirm several of these guys got to campus during the weekend. Um, see if there's still kind of a trickle uh, in the next few days and weeks as, as Penn State reconfigures itself in Happy Valley. 16 new names, 11 early enrollees, a 27-player class in 2020. James Franklin uh, counting on it to keep his vision uh, going and, and move it to a new level as he does try to every recruiting class uh, building towards national championship caliber roster. We'll find out about these guys in the years to come. Uh, learn more about them online, 247.com, where we've got a rundown of each of those high school standouts, all 14 of the incoming freshmen uh, profiled a bit up on the site. As this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast continues, we've got our five-star mailbag on the way, some topics to get to there some Penn State recruiting to discuss. First, a word from our sponsors. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here at Lions 24-7, we've been in communication with Derek Davis uh, for a while now. He was the first player on Penn State's 2021 target board as a high school freshman. Uh, one of the jewels of this in-state class and one of the key remaining targets for Penn State at the safety spot. Sean, what's the latest on Davis as as we continue to to keep our finger on the pulse of, of where he his mind is at? Really not much in terms of what's going on because this is a kid that you know is adamant that he won't be forced into a decision. It's um, you know, it, we were we were looking at a preseason decision originally. He wanted to get out, see LSU, see USC, see Georgia, see Clem more Clemson, see see all these different schools that really have been in the, you know, on the on the fringe of his recruitment because it's mostly been Ohio State, Penn State, Pitt's been in there. Um, so those schools kind of have an advantage, but he's always wanted to get out and he's remained steadfast in that he wants to visit these schools. And when I talked to him last week, you know, he, he sort of echoed that, you know, once he's able to visit schools, that's when this thing's going to pick up again. So he'll continue to uh, wait it out, see when that dead period ends, if it's going to end anytime soon. I don't know. Um, but he, he's talking about a November decision now. I, I would think that favors, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, the two schools that we keep bringing up. I, I do think Pitt's in there. I mean, I, I, I don't want to, you know, just cast them off to the side. I, I think they're still in there. Um, but Ohio State, Penn State seems to be the, the battle that's, that's brewing right now. Of course, Ohio State's got a lot of defensive back commits. They still want him. They, the door is open for him, but, you know, he's, he's not going to be forced through it. So Penn State will wait for him f- for the end. They want to get him back on campus as soon as they possibly can. I think they, they're in a good spot. They've been doing well with him throughout the shutdown, as he, uh, as he told me. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, this is one that you're probably, it's probably, I mean, I say strap in for it for the long haul, but I don't think it's going to be much of a roller coaster. I mean, it's been fairly flat for a while now with Derek Davis, and I don't see that changing unless, you know, uh, you know, something happens with, with Ohio State space and say, all right, well, commit now, you know, just sort of give him the ultimatum, commit now or, or go with it. So uh, we'll we'll see where it stands in a couple of months. And that's, uh, it's going to be an, agoniz- an agonizing wait if you're a Penn State fan, because right now recruitment is as slow as it's been and will continue to be slow for a while. So I think that that's really where things stand with Derek Davis and it's not, not really going to change anytime soon. Another development to note here, Andrew Anthony out of East Lansing, Michigan, uh, down to four schools now. He was uh, had a top 10 in, in mid-May, and now it's Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, and Penn State, a player that we felt pretty strongly heading into the late stages of spring that if he were able to make an official visit to Penn State, that may have sealed the deal for him. But uh, now it feels like his process has been delayed. He was targeting a preseason commitment. I think this is really maybe in place of a preseason commitment, uh, unless he wants to stick with that. Official visit going to be key for him. He has not been back to Penn State since picking up an offer. He was at the regular season finale for the win against Rutgers. Did not have an offer at that time. Taylor Stubblefield took the job, got in communication pretty quickly, and by mid-February, he was on the target board. That target board, if you listen to this podcast, that receiver, you know it has certainly changed over recent months with some of those top targets not looking toward Happy Valley right now and Anthony taking higher and higher precedent, it would seem, a guy that they've compared, the staff has compared uh, to KJ Hamler during communication with him. I don't think that's uh, that's by mistake in, in any means because he says that's his favorite uh, wide receiver in college last couple of years, another Michigan guy. Um, right now, I've seen some crystal ball picks for Michigan State, but when we look at that confidence meter, the new tool, not a lot of confidence for those picks to Michigan State. And, and I don't have a lot of confidence on where this one is heading. I do know that Penn State, uh, we expected them to be on this top four, but even when he said... Uh, you know, that top four was coming. The way wide receiver recruiting has gone, I was very interested to make sure that the Nittany Lions logo was on that picture when he put it out. You know, when making a top four is is the high point of your receiver recruiting in the last month, that's uh, that's saying something. So uh, with Anthony, I still think he's in that next tier. Um, you know, I'm curious about receiver. We mentioned they brought in five in the last class. They've got a couple of committed that are that carry the athlete tab right now. But uh, you know, how much do you need another receiver, or let alone two more receivers? So there's some guys out there. Uh, you know, Andrew Anthony's in that group. Uh, uh, Dominic Lovett in uh, Illinois, I think it is. Jaden Alexis down in Florida, Omari Hatcher in Virginia. So it's just no sure things out there. And and we go back to what we talk about data collecting. You're trying to figure out how fast these guys are. Can they fit athletically into that room? And do you use a scholarship? And there are very few scholarships left in this class. Do you use a scholarship on a guy that, you know, you're just kind of taking a flyer on, on in June versus holding out, waiting till uh, the process kind of open backs up, opens back up uh, closer to December. So it's a, it's a fascinating development. Uh, certainly none of those guys are, uh, you know, part of that Maryland, Maryland three or any of the, the prospects that we've talked about early in the process, but uh, that's, that's, that's where Penn state's at. And then another note, Damon Harmon, uh, three-star corner from Virginia. This is a guy that Penn state's been recruiting for a while, kind of been quieter because you always were focused on, Tony Grimes and Dejon Warren at corner. Uh, Ryan Barnes was in there. I put uh, you know I put Harmon on that that Barnes level, sort of a, a step behind those other top guys. Um, but Penn State's been after him for a while, and they ended up on his top five. Pretty good top five list to be in. Georgia, Oklahoma, Penn State, South Carolina, and Tennessee on that list. Uh, we'll see what happens when he gets uh, back to. Uh, making visits and things like that because uh, he's also the teammate of Kevin of Kelvin Gilliam, uh, Penn State's uh, one of Penn State's top defensive line targets. So that's something to take into account. There, do those guys make it back onto campus? Uh, when do those guys make it back onto campus, and does that have an, an effect? So I think Harmon's a guy, uh, a name that you need to know moving forward because uh, based on where things have gone. Um, and the lack of momentum, honestly, the lack of momentum that Penn State has right now. I mean, names are going to start popping up, and and they're going to be worth following. Stories from recent days on both of those Highland Springs teammates, uh, uh, and with, along with Kelvin, Kelvin Gilliam, um, for our VIP subscribers on lines247.com. Um, so check those out for, for a better uh, laydown of what awaits in those recruitments. Uh, Sean, mailbag time, uh, late on recruiting today. Some days it's all recruiting, some episodes oh, it's a quick hit or two like this. Um, so let's shift gears. We do have some recruiting conversation in the mailbag, of course, uh, as is standard. 
Uh, and the first one here uh, comes from PSU Flyfish. Sean, he asked, and this is a popular question, is Penn State recruiting at a college football playoff level? And and obviously it's it's a question that you can answer in shades of gray because there's you know there's a very distinct uh, you know difference between what makes a college football playoff team and what we've seen and what Penn State has right now. What's well, the interesting thing to me is you've got uh, spots where you've loaded up. I mean, you look at linebacker, you look at tight end, running back, where you're definitely, I mean, I don't think there's any question you're at a playoff level right there. Uh, then you've got some other spots that are coming along, offensive lines coming along, defensive line, you've got a bunch of numbers. You've had uh, tremendous uh, prospects come in at defensive end. I think you're, you're getting there. There are certain spots that are holding you up. And that's the, really the difference that we've seen when you put them on the field with a playoff team like Ohio State. You've got a uh, quarterback that you know hasn't gotten you there. Receiver has been kind of hit and miss. And what's interesting about this class, and, and this class has taken a step back in terms of uh, of what you would expect. Um, you know, The numbers were never going to be there, but at the same time, you had a lot of quality in this region. You had a lot of guys that uh, you know play positions that could really help you out. Um, and, you know, just haven't gotten to that level. And I know they've got Tangwall on the offensive line. That's good. But really, just two top four, two, four, seven commitments uh, in Tangwall and, and Jalen Reed. So uh, it's not right there right now. On the flip side of that, I think Christian Valu is really freaking good. And, and that sort of, to me, uh, will level it out a little bit. And and when you talk about what they've had in past classes where you've brought in Roberson and Johnson and Micah Bowens last year, are those playoff quarterbacks? I don't think so. So, you know, you've recruited really, really well in certain spots and not at the quarterback position or maybe at the quarterback position. The jury's still out on Roberson and, and Bowens, obviously. But then you flip it and, you know, this class is not at that level that you expect at some of those uh, those bigger positions. But at quarterback, you're bringing in your best guy. So, Sort of on the edge of that, uh, I think you can make a couple different arguments. I think they have recruited well enough to make the playoff this year. You need some breaks, just like everybody else needs some breaks, uh, you know, outside of Clemson, which I guess you could call playing in the ACC a break. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's sort of – I don't want to say they're missing their window, but it's definitely taking a step back. And that's something that you can't ignore. So got to recapture whatever that is, get back into it. I, again, I – not a ton of spots in this class, and the shutdown has 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 crushed them. I mean, I I think the shutdowns hurt a lot more schools than it's helped. But you hear more about the schools that it's helped. Not being able to get visitors on campus at Penn State is really really tough because of the location that they're in, because of how well they do when they get these guys on campus. I mean, you think about uh, past classes. If you take uh, official visits out, I mean, just just this last class. I mean, looking at the list that we have, I mean, Kevon Lee's not in this class. Kaziah Holmes isn't in this class. Probably Keandre Lambert's not in this class. You know, just a lot of those guys. If you take visits out of the equation, I mean, you're 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 looking at a tough uh, a tough. Uh, you're looking at tough sledding if you're Penn State, and that's really what's happened. So they have recruited well enough to, to make the playoff. I think so. Um, I think that there's some some really good players in this class, but is it at that level that where the expectations are? I'm not sure in this class. Coming off of a season where you get to November with an undefeated record and you're part of that college football playoff conversation at that late stage of the season – it doesn't come to fruition for you, but you end up with 11 wins, uh, you know, a win in one of the larger bowl games uh, that, that you'll find in late December, early January. You feel like there would be, at this stage, uh, more momentum. Um, I think that's certainly understandable compared to the 9-4 and four finish the year before. One thing that, that you know, does trip you up a bit is, is the staff changes, and, and particularly at wide receiver. Um, you've got one now at quarterback slash offensive coordinator. Um, to me, those two are, 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 you know, there's a marriage there, and I think there's something that could really explode for them on the recruiting trail. This cycle, I think there's still potential for the 2021 cycle to be heavily impacted by a possible leap uh, on the offensive end. Um, I, I still think that's something we got to prepare for, um, and I, I know that's the expectation at Penn State is that the addition of Kirk Shiraka, that that move to bring him in from a different Big Ten team is going to pay dividends on the football field this fall. And to me, that could still pay dividends for them on this uh, on signing day in 2021. But when you look at the 2022 class, you know that perception is important. Um, I, I think you know coaches play such a key role, not just in actually recruiting the players, but in shaking up the perception of a program. And we see it every year 
you know, a team has an assistant coach and two years later, there's a different narrative around what they're accomplishing on campus and what they can sell to recruits. Right now, I think they're having some issues, you know, particularly at the quarterback receiver spot, the passing game. We've talked about this. It's it's something that can easily be uh, negated by an opposing uh, pitch from a different school when they point to Penn State's production or lack thereof in some key key spots there. So that's important. But at the end of the day, the frustrations are going to stem uh, from, from losing some of the, the local prospects, from not being uh, still engaged and still part of the, the conversation for some of the high-level wide receiver targets. Um, I do feel like a lot of folks, um, I don't know how you feel about this, they're going to judge the overall vibe of, of, of this recruiting class in a lot of ways based on what happens with Rucci. And so no pressure, Phil Troutwine, but this is clearly a player who you know, I think folks will be able to, to kind of swallow the pill and say, hey, it wasn't the marquee um, class that's clearly going to push this team into the college football playoffs year after year after year. But Rucci joined it. That's a huge win. If Rucci decides to go elsewhere and you lose the top in-state target for a second consecutive cycle, that's when I think you start to see a snowball effect in perception. I don't know how much it means in the grand scheme of things, but certainly it fires up the fan base in a negative way. Yeah, and it seems a lot like the 2016 and 2017 classes where you're, you know, you've got some some really good pieces in there and then there's kind of a gap and you've got some guys that you're you're not sure how their careers are going to shake out based on on what they present to you as prospects. I think it's interesting um that you mentioned uh the quarterback, the receiver, just you know, just it, it there's not juice there on that offense and and I you know some of it's warranted in fact in the fact that Penn State's offense you know in those areas has struggled and we've talked about the running quarterback and things like that before but I mean you've got Taylor Stubberfield has not hosted a a, a, um, excuse me a uh, an offered receiver John Scott has not offered or hosted an offered defensive lineman I mean that's a pretty tough eight ball to put yourself behind obviously they didn't know the shutdown was coming and all that kind of stuff so um, you know, hindsight is what it is, but that's a tough thing to step in, a tough situation to step into. I think Troutwine's done a phenomenal job, as I said, uh, you know, many times on this thing. I think, I think it'd be different, uh, sort of a different setup if he were on board earlier, but that's again, hindsight that it, it really can't, uh, prove or disprove. So, um, really interesting situations. I know there's a lot of, I guess some would call them excuses. Some would call them circumstances. And, and right now it just, it hasn't helped Penn State. And then, you know, it's great to go on those runs where you pick up 10 commits in six weeks or 10 commits in seven weeks, whatever it is. But when you've got 18 or 20 scholarships, you've got 12 guys on board. It's just not a ton, uh, not a ton left on the, of meat on the bone left to pick. So I agree with you on Rucci. I think he's a pivotal point in this class. I'd, I'd add Derek Davis to that list. Dejon Warren is close to that. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got guys that are still out there that could really make or break. Kelvin Gilliam is a guy that you talked to last week that, uh, you know, we think that Penn State's in a, in a really good spot for. So, you know, you can fill this out. But as we said a couple weeks ago, you're going to have to keep hitting on those top targets. And as time has gone by, you lose those guys. Yeah. You lose Caden Prather and Dante Thornton and, and guys like that. So, You've uh, found yourself in a predicament. You got to work yourself, work your way out of it. And you know, as we said uh, back in what 2016, 2017, the best way to do that is play some football, get some fans in the seat, in the stands, and and we'll see what goes with there or from there. And and once again, remember, put yourself in a good spot on the field this fall. It, it opens things up for you, but it also, you know, decommitment season is coming. Decommitment season is coming. There's going to be visits to be had. Put yourself in a good spot on the field this fall, and, and you may be surprised by some of the names that could resurface for Penn State despite limited numbers. I, th- I think there's there's a lot to be said, and they get Ohio State pretty early in the schedule, so opportunities to serve up some big statements about where this program is moving. From a recruiting standpoint, this this is a program that needs football. I mean, you, you look at – it's funny. I was talking to, to Brian Doan about this yesterday, and we, we talked about there's some schools out there that – you know, we'll be just fine without a season. You know, <laughs> yeah, no you, you look at the Big Ten East and you got Penn State and Ohio State want football. Indiana wants football. Indiana thinks it's going to be a, a good football team. Michigan uh, breaking a new quarterback, but they're Michigan, so it's kind of different. And then you've got the flip side of that. You've got Michigan State, Rutgers, and Maryland where they've, you know, the let's be honest, they, they peak in the off season, and that's really been their MO since, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. So if you can have an off season be extended, 
good for them. I and mean, that's going to help turn over your roster. That's going to make you a better football team. And that's going to give you a chance to recruit. And especially in a situation where you've got Mike Loxley, whose record is what it is, um, who, who is a fantastic recruiter, one of the great recruiters in college football. Uh, if you can keep those guys off the field and, and keep that record where it is right now, the way that he's recruiting right now with that record is, is incredible. Um, it's, <laughs> it's it's fascinating i'll say that um but uh well, it's how about north carolina you think the tar heels will be okay with you know taking a little more, more time to recruit maybe we'll get to the games later they were seven and six last year and now they're knocking on the door for a, a top ranked class in, in this cycle it's yeah incredible I mean, you you probably that you could probably lump them in there but they, they do have sam howell which you know is, yeah. is probably going to be one of the better quarterbacks in college football so you've got something to work with there some other some of those programs i mentioned earlier there's those rosters are not going to get you very far. So um, it's a it's an interesting situation. It's uh, really one of those things where you know you you could you can take or leave a season for some of these schools, but Penn State is not one of those schools. You need to get you need to get your juice back. You need to get uh, back on the field and for what should be a really good team and especially a, a really exciting defense. So I'm not sure if we gave a yes or no on that. Is Penn State recruiting at a, at a college football playoff level? But a lot going into that. And by the way. You know, Penn State 2016, a year that people will still frequently point to and say Penn State should have gotten in there. Uh, you know, you can make a case for or against that concept, but was their team recruiting at a college football playoff level when it constructed that 2016 roster? You know, you wouldn't say that, and yet there they were, uh, right on the doorstep of, of inclusion. So, uh, we'll find. I, I will. I will answer. I think the class sure. as a whole is not at that level. I think the quarterback brings it up. And that's that's something yeah. that's overlooked. Whereas the last couple of classes has been the opposite. So um, interested to see what balance that would do. I think, like I said, I think Valu's really good, and I think he's going to be a four star on twenty four seven sports when all is said and done. Um, but uh, yeah, you got to find that. And as we said in one of our last episodes, if it doesn't work out, uh, maybe you become one of those schools that checks the portal for quarterbacks and and tries to bring in the next big thing and, and make a splash. So. We will see what happens. I think the roster is is in pretty good shape uh, for the for the most part, but uh, you're continuing to see these, uh, you know, I guess chinks in the armor where you kind of want to figure out what where you fill them, where you need to uh, address these certain situations. I think they've done a good job uh, building up the offensive line from what it was because you know it's a horror show a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden you're thinking of one of the strengths of the of the team maybe this running game, and so you've got to get those spots. Um, caught up with with the linebacker with the tight end with the with the running back we'll learn a lot more as players get to campus for visits uh whenever that does happen that's going to totally take us into a different phase of this recruiting cycle um, one more question for the mailbag we'll leave you with this one it's from td legacy tyler and dayton um with jamari budden uh planning to commit the first week of july and with penn state trending fairly well in the crystal ball for him right now if he commits to penn state could he start the next commitment wave for the 2021 class that leads to maybe two or three additions following him within a few weeks, like the one we saw a couple months ago, but in the latest player from the Detroit area, a four-star composite linebacker, uh, certainly close with the, a couple, uh, the, the three Penn State commits from Detroit um, and, and Kobe King, Kalen King, and Jalen Reed. Well, first off in this question, um, he hasn't announced that he's committing in July. He said he's going to, I think, announce the announcement. Um, from, from talking to Alan True, I believe it's it's going to be a situation where he says when he's committing. I don't know when that is. Um, but on the to the crux of the question, which can you get a little bit more momentum going with that? Um, I see this as a Penn State-Michigan State battle. Um, as I've said before, I'm not sure Penn State's completely sold on him, but I think, you know, he presents some some positives as a recruit, you know, especially in that Michigan area. Uh, great looking kid, uh, good looking athlete. He's got some work to do on his uh, field work. Um, but no, I don't I don't see a wave of commitments coming before the season. I think it's going to be fairly dry. Um, maybe you hit on a 2022 kid or, or something of that nature, but I think it's going to be fairly dry until you can get uh, players back on campus. Um, there's always that wave of guys that decide before the season, but I think a lot of that has been taken care of by this shutdown um, back in June, uh, or excuse me, back in, in May and June when they shut it down and, and guys just decided, okay, I'm just going to get on with this. So I don't think you're going to see the big wave right before the season that you typically see. So I don't really see if, if Budden would say Budden commits to Penn State and on July 15th or something like that. Um, you know, it, does that does that cause some sort of groundswell, get some momentum going? 
I don't think so just because of what's out there, just based on the guys that you're looking at, the guys that are still on the board when they plan to decide. Because honestly, if you waited this long, for the most part, you're probably going to wait it out and see if you can take official visits. Now, if some things change and all of a sudden this dead period, I mean, it's possible that this dead period extends through the season and you're not going to, you know, you think about having uh, recruits visit a a college campus for a game, sitting in a stadium with a bunch of people, interacting with your staff and players, which is obviously something you don't want to do. Um, you know that that could change the dead period. That could change a lot of different things. So, um, you know, will we see more visits? Uh, it, it's honestly up in the air right now. So, um, but getting back to the question, no, I, I just looking at what's on the board. I don't see a a string of um, of commitments coming. I don't think there's a ton of scholarship left to give, and I don't think there's a lot of commitments. Um, left in that general area. Now, flip season may be a different story. Uh, attrition season may may happen, and we, we may see that before or after the season. But uh, you know, from from there, I just don't think that there's going to be all that much that happens before Penn State plays its first game. If Penn State can host players for game day weekends, you're looking at three home games in September, including that Big Ten uh, opener against Northwestern. That seems to be early on a popular possible destination game for recruits that we're talking about but again uh, that's that's just theoretical to this point until the NCAA decides to uh, make a decision and opening uh it's it's uh, ending its ban on in-person recruiting we'll we'll find out about that and there's a lot that goes into that and I I would not want to be one of those ones making that decision because there's there's a lot of uh what ifs that could happen in, in a situation like that with your team, with the player, with the people around your recruiting right. staff and things like that. I mean, that's that's a decision I would not want to make. And, and, and Franklin has already talked about the, ch- the immense challenges of, of trying to mesh official visit weekends with with an event like a, a game or a spring, even the blue white game and, and, and trying to avoid that because you don't feel like you get as much of a personal connection and personal time because of everything that's thrown your way. Now throw in the new protocols and, yeah, there, there is a lot to, to, to dive into uh, in that conversation, something that we'll talk about as things get closer. Or maybe we get some more information. But that's going to do it for this one, Sean. Uh, gave a, a full review of this 2020 class there underway. Another positive step for Penn State as, as we look toward uh, July and, and when the football is going to be back on the field. And, hey, we'll, we'll take what we can. There's a lot more players coming to campus for Penn State. I'll be back uh, in town this week. We got a second episode coming. Anything else to add before we get out of here and and our two week beach tour uh, comes to a collective end? Do you remember what I said about June? You know, just kind of crawling along. Well, that's over because we just got an email saying we get Jake Pinniger on oh, a yeah, Zoom baby. conference call <laughs> and then Jordan Stout this week. So <laughs> Penn State football is sending out the kickers. It is June. So. If you're still with us, thanks for following along. Thanks for help. Uh, you know, thanks for passing the time with us. Um, we're, we are appreciative of you listening, uh, reviewing, uh, just do, spreading the word that, that we're doing this a couple times a week. Um, we enjoy doing it, um, and we we would like to continue to see those numbers high. I think we've done a you know pretty good job of of bridging the gap. Tyler and I set out for a short episode today. Of course, of course, we're over an hour once again because um, that because that's what we do. Um, but uh, no, we we appreciate you guys listening. Remember check us out, Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a, a mailbag uh, question, do what you got to do, uh, and follow us online at 247.com because we appreciate you. Have a great week, everybody.